You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. His rulership as a king, he has been endowed with all the skills and abilities of a king. The second character in the story is a character called Samuel. He was the prophet. He would have been God's judge or God's ruler before, Samuel, before Saul came along. And he was the guy who appointed Saul as the king. But he was God's spokesman. The third characters in it are the Philistines. And these are the enemies of the nation of Israel at the time. They are completely in control of the land pretty well. And the Israelites are under the jackboot of Philistine rule when we read this story. Lastly is the army of Israel itself, which we'll read a little bit about in a second. I think the army of Israel itself is pretty self-explanatory. Saul, Samuel, the Philistines, the army of Israel. That's basically the cast of today's story. Going to begin by reading... Uh, going to begin by reading in 1 Samuel chapter 13, just a few verses. Can we read six verses, do you think, together? Yes, yes we've got six verses. We can manage that. We have the attention span for that. Let's begin the story. Oh, sorry. Before I begin the story, one last caveat. In this particular situation, the Israelites have really annoyed the Philistines and brought the Philistine army out against them. They've kicked a hornet's nest and the Philistines are coming out against them. The Philistines have chariots, they have swords, they have spears, they have bows and arrows. The Israelites have nothing other than farm implements. The entire army has two swords, the one owned by Saul and the one owned by Jonathan. In effect, the Philistines had taken over the rulership of weapons in the nation as well. So all they had was farm implements. It's an important thing to remember as we read the circumstance of this story. May God bless the reading of his word as we read it. In Jesus' name. Straight in. This is what it says. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in. Surrounded by the Philistines. Because they were hard pressed by the enemy. And they tried to hide in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped to the lands of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, the prophet, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Seven days. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, and so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. The Israelites would never have gone into war without offering the sacrifices that pleased God and asked for his blessing. Saul was not the guy who was supposed to make these offerings. It was supposed to be Samuel. And just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him to welcome him. But Samuel said, what have you done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me. And you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines were ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Now Samuel was not happy about this and we'll get to that in a second. When we read this story, we see a, a conundrum that Saul was in. 
And it's the one that we could all put ourselves into. You know, my son, one of my sons says to me, Dad, you're always shouting on the stage. Please stop shouting. So if I shout too much, I apologize. But I do get excited about things. They were in a very difficult conundrum. They were in a difficult situation. Here they were, surrounded by their enemies. Their enemies who were armed to the teeth. Who had every weapon that the then known world had at their disposal. Their army, Saul's army, was hiding in holes in the ground, hiding in the bushes, hiding in the caves. Imagine you were the general of this army. You wouldn't exactly be proud of this bunch of soldiers, would you? Where are the soldiers? They're hiding over there behind the bushes. Oh, there's a strong bunch of courageous men. They were running for their lives. Some of them had done a bunk and gone over the river to get out of the situation. And so Saul is sitting there. He's the king. He's the boss. He's the general of this army. He's the one charged with the responsibility of defending this land. And all of a sudden, his army are scattering. And he says, what am I going to do? The Philistines have everything. And all we've got is a bunch of hoes and axes and ox goads and, and, and pitchforks, if you will, and sickles. We have no weapons. They have all the weapons. Our army is scattering. What am I supposed to do? So he says, we better offer the sacrifice so that we can get God's blessing. And that's exactly what he does. Now, this is a moment of a panic attack, if you will, for Saul. Because God had specifically said to him through Samuel, wait for seven days. When, if you wait for seven days, Samuel will come and he will offer the sacrifices and God will bless your endeavors. But instead, as the seventh day arrived, he begins to panic. Got to tell you something, lads. Do you know what I would have done? I'd have panicked. I think you would have panicked. I think you would have looked at all of these, your meager resources, slipping away across the river, hiding in holes, hiding in holes in the ground, up in the caves, and you would have gone, I better do something to rally the troops here, otherwise we are in serious, serious trouble. And in that moment, his memory faded, and his faith evaporated, and he, and he did the sacrifice. Now, to most of us looking on, going, yes, yeah, so what's the big deal? He said he did the sacrifice. He wasn't supposed to offer the sacrifice. He had been told not to offer the sacrifice. He was told to wait. And as we all know, because we're human beings, every time we're told to wait, we find waiting very easy, don't we? Amen. His army are bailing out on him, and he panics and he reacts to the situation as a human being does. And we say he should have had a bit more patience. I become impatient if the broadband is slow. <laughs> no armies, no IS gunmen at the front door with AK-47s. It's just the broadband and I react. I, get, I react when the traffic lights are slow. Do you know my least favourite thing of all? Is when you're sitting in traffic, you're already under pressure, you're waiting, and you're, hold, you're waiting for the lights to go green, and then the person in front of you, who's ahead of you in the traffic lights, decides that now's a good time to do a Facebook post while they're sitting in traffic. And then the light goes green, and you see them going, and you're sitting in the car behind going, bless you, my child. <laughs> and they just, oh, oh, I better put away the phone. And then they do the thing that annoys me the most of all. They put the car into gear, slowly let off the handbrake, and drive across the junction, leaving you with the red light. Bless you! With a brick through your windscreen! I become impatient in the simplest of situations. 
What about you? Here's a man who panics because the situation was very, very bleak. It looked to him like it was getting bleaker. His resources were running out fast. His people were abandoning him. What was he supposed to do? He didn't, at the time, have faith. And sometimes in our situations, we wait for things to happen, even things that God has told us will happen, and we become a little bit impatient. I had a prayer situation myself about four or five years ago at home. Elma and I were looking at something, and the situation, we were waiting for doors to open, and the doors weren't open, and we really felt that we had heard God's voice, and we really felt, and we, and we were now living in it, we felt that we had God's promise, and we were waiting for these doors to open, and I was becoming impatient, and my prayers were becoming more and more exasperated, and as much as they do, Lord, when will we see you move? And then I read this quote, and it was really impressed by it. He said, this is John Piper. He that impatience with God is a form of unbelief. Becoming impatient with God expresses our unbelief because what that's saying is that I don't have enough faith to believe that you're going to do what you're going to do when you want to do it. That's what it says. When we become impatient. Now, it's one thing to be, there's an impatience of zeal and there's an impatience of desperation, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. And then Samuel turns to Saul, back in our story, Samuel turns to Saul and he says this to him. He says, how foolish. Have you, have, you have not kept the command the Lord gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But no, your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be a leader of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. For the sake of a couple of hours' patience, Saul's dynasty was effectively ended over this nation. And God had made him a promise, you'll have somebody on the throne forever if you obey me, if you obey me, if you obey me. And it was a simple instruction, wait seven days. That's all, wait seven days. And of course he did. He waited until six days one hour or two hours, and then began to say, well, it is the seventh day, isn't it? And he panicked. And because of that, he ruined his life. He ruined his dynasty. He ruined the situation for his children. Everything was undone by this moment of impetuous impatience. It's important for all of us to exercise patience. Amen. How many people here would describe themselves as patient? If you put your hand up, you'll be taken out and shot. <laughs> I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. Yes. Very few of us actually identify ourselves as being patient people. Sometimes, I, like I said, I'm told that I'm a patient person, but I don't feel very patient, not on the inside. I'm very patient on the outside, but not necessarily all that patient on the inside. But there's different kinds of patience. So when you talk about patience, and just bear with me on this one a second, there's not just one kind of patience. First of all, there is the patience that is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's the one that we want to have growing in our life. The Bible says there are fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Patience is one of the fruits. So if the Holy Spirit is living in you, and you are walking according to the power of the Holy Spirit, you should have more patience. Amen. But there's different kinds of patience. I want to look at three very, very, very quickly. I want to look at three different kinds of patience. or things that we think are patience. The first one is this one. The patience of fear. 
See, sometimes we think that we're being patient or other people think that we're being patient when we're not actually being patient, we're actually being afraid. We're afraid to make a decision. You see, young men, I mean those of you who are not married and maybe one day would like to get a girlfriend and all the caveats are in there. I hope she'll be a Christian, she'll be a Christian, amen, and all that kind of stuff. If you see the girl that your heart longs for, would you please just get on with it? Because you can be there saying, I'm being patient, I'm waiting for my moment, when in actual fact, very often you're just being afraid of being rejected. Very often, we are afraid to make a mistake. And it isn't patience, we think it's patience, it looks like patience, but it's just fear. It's important to discern the difference between patience and fear. Here's another form of patience, the patience of pride. This is one I think that an awful lot of us suffer from, believe it or not. The patience of pride is waiting for its opportunity. That's what the patience of pride is. It's waiting to get what it wants. You look at a lion, or you look at a tiger, or you look at a leopard creeping through the bushes on the Serengeti, and some poor deer is looking around and the ears are flicking and the eyes are turning in the head and the, the nose is going. And what she doesn't see is that right behind her is a leopard creeping through the thicket. And if you ever see the videos, they kind of move their paws really slowly. Not a crack, not a move of grass. And they slowly, but surely, you go, God, I, re I wish I had the patience of a leopard. <laughs> and you see them creeping up slowly but surely. But that's not the patience of goodness. That's the patience of pride. They're being patient because if they're patient, they'll have their dinner tonight. A nice springbok or a Thompson gazelle for dinner. Anybody having Thompson gazelle tonight? That's the patience of pride. I read a very good quote on the subject of the patience of pride by a, a very famous English prime minister called Margaret Thatcher. She was known as the Iron Lady, a great friend of Ireland. She loved the Irish, she did. I loved what she said about it. She said, I'm extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own way in the end. You see, I'm very patient like that too, believe it or not. I have this patience in me that goes, oh, I can wait, I can wait, so long as I get my own way in the end. That's the important one. If I can get my own way, then of course I'm going to be patient. Will you wait till the end of the year to get what you want? Oh, yes, I will. Oh, yes, I will. And this is a, an area I would love to drill down into, but perhaps I won't right now because we're kind of time limited. But there's, there's so much to be said about the patience of pride. Now, I know that nobody here suffers from pride. Anybody from another planet here by any chance? Because if you're from this planet, you suffer from pride. I have bad news for you. You may think it's something else, but you probably are suffering from pride. I certainly do. And every human being I've ever met certainly suffers from it. But there's a patience that comes with pride. That means we're willing to wait to get what we want. The other one, obviously, I've spoken about is the patience of faith. And what on earth is the patience of faith you're talking about? The patience of faith says, I'm willing to wait for what God wants to do for me, in me, and in my life. I'm willing to wait for it, and I'm not willing to twitch and twiddle and come on, I'm willing to wait. Here's a great example of somebody who showed the patience of faith. Abraham, it says this about Abraham in Hebrews, it says, after waiting patiently, 
Abraham received what God had promised. Many, many years passed between Abraham's first receiving of his promise of God and his actual fulfillment of that promise in the form of his son Isaac. And the fulfilling of that overall promise would actually take a thousand years before his whole generation of Israelites came to fruition, as it were. It would be the bones of a thousand years. But it says, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what God has promised. And I love this version in Hebrews, because if you read the book of... um, if you read the book of Genesis, you realize that while Abraham might have been fairly patient, his wife certainly wasn't very patient. And she wanted that promise fulfilled. And in the process, Abraham went along with it. And he made a pretty well a disastrous decision in having another son before the son of promise. He has a son with another wife. And those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible, just trust me, it turned out to be a disaster. But when God's promise came along, it was a blessing. And it was a fulfillment. Sometimes we rush in to doing what we think God needs to do in our lives. How's about letting God do what he needs to do in our lives? I love what Rick Warren, the leader of Saddleback Church, says this. He says, patience is a form of faith. It says, I trust God. I believe God is bigger than this problem. You're stuck in a problem, stuck in a situation that you can't get out of, stuck waiting for something to happen in your life. Well, is God bigger than the problem or isn't he bigger than the problem? Is God's future for you better than the future you plan for yourself? I suggest to you that it is. The future I have planned for myself is not as good as the future that God has planned for me. Trust. I trust God and believe that he is bigger than this problem. Look what Paul writes. Paul writes this to the Romans. Romans chapter 12 and verse 12 he says, let your hope make you glad. Be patient in time of trouble and never stop praying. There's good advice. Never stop praying. I love it says, let your hope make you glad. Now, he's obviously talking about the hope. It's not like, oh, I hope I'm going to go to Lapland this Christmas. That's not the hope he's talking about, okay? He's, ta- <laughs> he's talking about your hope in God. Not just general, oh, let hope make us glad. No, let our hope in God make us glad. Be patient in times of trouble. And we all find that so easy, don't we? When the trial is on our lives or the situation that we don't particularly like or we don't particularly want is on our lives, we kind of, we always go, yes, Lord, give me more, don't we? We always say, Asher, whenever you're ready, Lord, you can do whatever you want to, amen. No, we don't. We become impatient in times of trouble. He didn't write it for nothing. He knew he was writing to human beings. He himself was a human being. And I'm sure he had plenty of times of impatience in trouble. And his last piece of advice, never stop praying. Why would he give that simple piece of advice? Because every time we pray about a situation, or we pray about a problem, or we pray about a promise, we're remembering that it is God who is in control. We are remembering it, we're acknowledging it, we're seeing it with our words and with our actions. Lord, you are in control. That's what we're saying every time we pray. When we get on our knees, when we go for a walk, when we go into our bedroom or some quiet room to pray, when we go anywhere and do anything to pray, we're immediately putting ourselves in a great place because we're reminding ourselves that we need God in our lives. Here's what the psalmist wrote. 
And this is the verse that really spoke to me. When, it, when I began to, to study this uh, passage, this is the verse that really spoke to me from Psalm 27. And it seems a little bit contradictory. It says this. It says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Now, to me, they seem kind of contradictory. Because bravery and courage mean you charge into the battle sword in hand. Or you dive in and you go, I'm going to take courageous action here. Or you say, I'm going to be brave about this situation and I'm going to do something about it. He says, no. That is sometimes the appropriate action. But he's saying, wait patiently for the Lord to act, to do, to say, and go before you. The battle belongs to the Lord. Remember that, brothers and sisters? So he says, be brave and courageous. Sometimes it takes more bravery and courage to trust and wait patiently in God than it does to do something and ruin what God was going to do anyway. Sometimes we need that courage to say, no, I'm going to trust that God is going to work this situation out. I'm going to trust that God is going to give me a godly wife. Oh, sorry, I already have a godly wife, just for the record, but, but imagine you're a man, right? I'm not going to rush in and ruin it by making sure I get the girl that I want. Why don't we trust that God will bring the right person into our lives, amen? Amen. Trust that God can bring the right job opportunity into your life. Amen? Amen. And may God deliver us from making impetulant, impatient decisions that can ruin our lives and ruin our futures and possibly ruin the futures of those around us. My prayer this morning is simple. I want us to pray that we would have the patience of faith. The patience that says, Lord, I don't see how this is all going to work out. I can see all of the problems in this situation, but I'm going to trust you that you're at work, that you're going to bring about the opportunity. You're going to bring about your promise. You're going to bring about your timing. You're going to bring about that situation according to your will and according to your time. Do you think that's a good prayer to pray? Would you think it's a good prayer to pray if you're young? Would you think it's a good prayer to pray if you're old? Well, if you're like somewhere in between, do you think that's a pretty good prayer? Let's stand and pray. We get the worship band up. We're going to sing a verse from the song. I'm not going to call you up because we're already up for breaking your bread. We're going to sing a verse from the song. How great is our God. Age to age he stands and time is in whose? His hands. See, we 